Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast. Whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Hello and welcome to our season four wrap up episode. We love doing these episodes at the end of every season. Obviously, we've done three so far. This is the fourth. Uh, it's coming after our wonderful season four on trial episode that we did with We Are the Gayers. Please go listen to that because we did get into a lot of great commentary on season four. They actually changed my lot, my mind about a couple of things that I wasn't expecting them to. Yeah, I, I, I thought I was fairly conciliatory uh, in the sense of they made some really good points about why season four is very good. So I'm looking forward to people in the comments tonight maybe try to sway me back in the direction of not enjoying season four. Can, can you sway me back the other way? So I, I guess we should remind people listening to this in the podcast feed we're doing this live. Woo! So aside from Steph editing out any super awkward moments that those of you listening live can hear right now, um, yeah, we're, we're doing this live. So it may be a slightly zanier, less polished episode than you're used to. And we'll be reading out people's comments. Um, so it's going to be good. There's going to be spoilers for season four, as always. Yeah, uh, we got um, a really good array of hot stakes for season four so we're going to be talking about xander talk about ruffy obviously uh we should be talking about the crossovers at one point because we covered two well three really of them of course we'll talk a bit about taryn willow and adam as well and then we'll do our best to read everyone's comments and see what's going on there uh but yeah we got we got a a whole slew of things to talk about today also we have an announcement right we have something exciting that happened to us today. So we are pleased to announce that as of today, and it's very serendipitous, we didn't plan it this way, uh, Prophecy Girls has received 200,000 downloads in the entire lifetime of the podcast. I am blown away. Like 200,000 people have downloaded and listened, um, enjoyed High Joyce with us, Donor Joyce. They've tuned in for the dinner in a bag and the bedroom breakfasts and everything. And we are so grateful and so humbled by that number. Uh, never in our wildest dreams did we think that we would reach that. Uh, it is a milestone. We're very proud of each other. And we're only halfway through, right? We still got three more seasons to go. Then all of exactly. Angel. Then all of True Blood. <laughs> no, that we are not announcing. We are not announcing that. <laughs> Don't tease our fans, Steph. You know they want it. Just dangle it for everybody to have. <laughs> Um, no, we're, we're really proud of ourselves. So pat on the back to the prophecy girls for that. And thank you to everybody for tuning in, for being part of that. Uh, we really appreciate you and everybody here in the comments. I just saw Sarah join from becoming Buffy. She's our bud. Yeah. You guys are just the best. So you already said that we're going to do spoilers. Now, do, are we going to save spoilers till the end? 
Or... Now, let's just let it rip. Come on. <laughs> all right. All right. So, all right. So, um, do you want to get started? Is that all we had? Yeah. Let's roll into a hot steak. All right. Let's go to our first one. The first one's from Mike. And he wrote in about Xander. And he says, in digesting all the Xander slander and thinking about what I know is coming, I have developed a hypothesis about him, and I'd like to see how it plays out as we go through the seasons. Here it is. Xander is brave and loyal in the face of physical danger, no matter how great, but cowardly and self-serving in the face of emotional danger, no matter how small. Let me know if you think, if you think that holds true with what you've covered so far, and if so we can see how well it stands up going forward. I'm sure there may be some instances that stray from this, but I'm genuinely curious to see if, as a generalization, it pans out. Ooh, so what do you think of that? Some Xander slander commentary at the very beginning. Well, for anybody who listened to our episode of Primeval that dropped today, you might have heard me defend Xander slightly, kind of similar to what Mike said, because I said Xander would die for the Scoobies, right? He would put his life on the line. I don't think he has a problem doing that, but I think Mike's onto something here, right? Xander lacks some emotional intelligence. And I understand that he is this kind of stand-in for a college-age guy in that era who doesn't go to college, but I think it also says something about Mr. Joss Whedon himself, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I see people in the comments here agree. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some truth in what Mike is saying here for me. Uh, I agree, because we all know, and we've said it, Cara, we're not, we don't just shit on Xander all the time, right? We say he can be very brave, right? He, he makes brave decisions pretty often, but he is very immature. And again, representing that college age originally teenage age kind of boy but i definitely think in his relationships with his girlfriends like cordelia and anya there's some immaturity there and also some immaturity in the emotional range of his friendships like look at how he treated oz by making out with his girlfriend and they never had a conversation about that so there's the immaturity yeah. there too uh sarah from becoming buffy just said in the comments it's easier to show up for the big things sometimes than to show up like consistently for the little things that's a great point yeah exactly so um is that something we're going to see continue on well we can we can talk about spoilers right we don't we can drop the facade well yeah but i legitimately don't quite remember <laughs> because like i don't remember much oh hi that's fair. Um, I don't remember much from season five, Xander. I don't. Um, but season six, Xander, I do remember very well. So yeah, absolutely. He runs away from emotional danger. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm curious. I'm very curious to see how season five goes. So we'll see. Yeah, my impression of season five, I I love Glory. She's one of my favorite characters. Um, I think I said this in season four on trial. Kind of like Adam, she is quite OP. She's very overpowered as a villain, and I do think that detracts from the threat that she represents because I, I like how with the earlier villains, we get a little bit more interaction uh, with Buffy. The minions are a lot more fun. And that was something we didn't see a lot of with Adam here until we got Spike and Spadam at the very end of the season. I wish we had more of that. And that's also something I'm, I'm looking forward to watching season five with you and unpacking how the writers represent Glory, because I love her as a character and a villain, but I don't know if I'm convinced that she's like the top 
uh, big bad, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, time will tell. I remember in our in my past rewatches, always loving Glory. So Brady just asked a question to me saying, uh, is Glory the same type of god as Illyria? I think canonically, Brady, Illyria is an old one. So Illyria is what the master, not the master, sorry. Illyria is what the mayor was going to turn into. The mayor wasn't going to turn into Illyria uh, himself, uh, but the mayor was going to turn into a different old one. So the old ones were the original race of demons who walked the earth before humans. And then they died out, except for the ones that ended up sleeping in the deeper well. So that's what the mayor wanted to turn into. Uh, Glory is a god. She's from another dimension. So she's actually much more similar to Jasmine uh, than Illyria. Ooh, Jasmine. <laughs> I know there's a lot of opinions about Jasmine. I really like Jasmine. I don't know. But we should get into our next hot stake. We got two of them. And of course, they involve Riley and the Ruffy fiasco that was season four. Well, I originally thought it was a fiasco. But then honestly, we talked a lot about uh, Ruffy in our season four on trial episode. Yep. Ruffy itself is fine. It's just boring. It's Riley that I have issues with. So let's let's hear the first hot stake here is from Maeve. Love that name. So Maeve says, I have watched Buffy at least partly through at basically every stage of my life now. As an early 20s young adult, I really find myself liking the Ruffy relationship. It seems healthy and I even like Riley as a dude. He's respectful, kind, and it's very cute to watch him realize he has feelings for Buffy. Also, I love their parallel as two human beings that spend their life fighting demons. I think it's important after all, um, you know, after all the vampireness of Angel. But then at some point, there is a real shift. His behavior becomes undeniably toxic. After Hush, when they're not keeping secrets anymore, he is overtly coercive when Buffy expresses a boundary. And there was a way to write Riley as continuing to express feelings for Buffy without being quite so overbearing. I just really think this relationship has the opportunity to be interesting, and in some ways, I think it accomplishes the parallel it's trying to create. I'm even not mad when I think about their development in season five. I think it's a realistic arc for him. But sometimes his behavior is really inexcusable in a toxic masculinity way. And I think, but could be wrong, that this is what turns a lot of people so vehemently against him. That and the fact that he is so vanilla sometimes. And I also concur with the critical perspective. I, I just think it deserves the same complex analysis as Buffy's other relationships. All right. Mm, I mean, <laughs> a complex analysis of their relationship requires Riley to be complex. <laughs> Burn. Um, eh, you know what? I actually want to read what the next person who wrote about Riley, um, who is Kelly. Um, I want to read her hot stake because it actually matches a lot more of what I would reply to that particular hot stake. So I'm going to read it out now, and then we can just talk about Ruffy in general. Uh, Kelly says... I just want to say, first and foremost, that I'm a Bangel shipper till the end of time. But re-watching season four again, I see things differently. It was usually a season I skipped because Riley got on my nerves. But I'm so glad I didn't this time. I've realized after watching Doomed that Riley, although boring compared to the Angel and Buffy whirlwind romance, is the perfect human match for Buffy. He's sweet, kind, and he defends Buffy every single time. Hello, the Parker Punch. He's nice to Willow and makes an effort to get to know Buffy, the real Buffy. And he defends her. He only has eyes for her. He treats her like she was 
Like she has value even before he knew she was the slayer. He never intentionally hurts her. He's human. So he could give her babies in marriage one day if that's what she wants. Um, he is a demon hunter who gets, who gets the life and has Buffy's bed <clears throat> back in a fight. They actually fight really well together, even after he becomes regular. So let's be honest, Buffy cannot date a normal guy. They just wouldn't survive. But So Riley is the best of both worlds in that way and the healthiest relationship that Buffy will ever have. Um, Kelly goes on to say, is he on the boring side? Yes. Is he intimidated by Buffy's ability? Yes, at first. <laughs> but I think that comes from a place of him wanting to be needed as a man. Buffy doesn't need him in that capacity that he wants or maybe needs in doomed when Buffy wants to call it quits before it even begins. Riley doesn't back down because he knows she's worth the fight. So he calls her on her shit. He even calls Buffy's action stupid because she was allowing her fear of being hurt to get in the way of being happy. So um, Kelly says being a woman that survived multiple abusive relationships in my twenties, I see Riley for what he really is a genuinely good guy. The best Buffy will get. He do anything for her already proves it time and again. <clears throat> time and again and their sex life also seems fire hello <laughs> hello where the wild things are eh, kelly you're losing me here um <laughs> the kiss at the end of doomed yeah the the riley haters should try to see past his cornflake farm boy exterior and see how amazing he really is boring haircut yes himbo maybe but as people have to start loving what's good we have to start loving what's good for us and buffy deserves someone loving and dependable like an old pair of sweats you get my point so really well written kelly thank you um so that that is a lot of what she said is what i would have replied to mave as well although i do agree with mave there are toxic elements to Ruffy's relationship and we see it even in season four um and i'm sure we'll see more of it in season five but you and I said, Kara, when we were covering season four, it's nice that Buffy has this opportunity to explore a relationship with somebody who is on the normal side. Turns out he's a demon hunter, too. But Kelly makes a good point. Like, actually, that's probably the best of both worlds, that he knows how to take care of himself in the field. And he can patrol with her and hold his own. So there's that. Um, and you and I were also really happy that she got a normal sex life. And she gets to have a normal sex life, at least for a little bit of the show. Um, a healthy one, a healthy relationship for maybe what Buffy too is. normal. Maybe too normal. Yeah, like, so we're like, well, Kelly, a, a fire sexual relationship with Riley. I don't know if that's He's true. just so insecure, though. Like, I, I agree that Riley has qualities that make him a good boyfriend for Buffy at this point in her life. Those are some really valid points. But there are moments in the season where he does something, and I'm just like, like this is a red flag if not right now for the future yeah yeah absolutely and um again when we get to season five and we see the the <laughs> downfall of the Ruffy relationship uh i'm really excited to talk about that with you right and to break that down and be like well here's where everything is going wrong i know like there was a moment like we were i was on board anyway with Ruffy. i was for the first couple of episodes because like kelly's saying here right Hey, he's, he, he treats her with respect. He punched Parker and you and I were like, no violence, but also, yeah, <laughs> that was great. Um, like I, I was all for it. And then the, we hit that stumbling block in the middle where his development stalled or they, they tried to up his development by like 110%, but it, it was stalled in, in the way we watched it because we just weren't on board with it because we didn't know enough about him or maybe we just didn't care enough about him. And I think I was trying to understand why, like, 
there's a lot of characters on the show that we care a lot about. And we weren't feeling that for Riley. And a lot of the times it's because these characters are underdogs. And Riley never seemed like an underdog mm-hmm. to me. When we meet the Scoobies in season one, right? Like Willow and Xander anyway. They're losers in high school. And who doesn't understand that trope and feel something for those for characters like that? And like, oh my God, they're heroes. But no one else can see it. When will they get their moment, you know? Um, when will they find love and all that stuff? But Riley started out as the golden boy. So they had to build sympathy in for him, but I just didn't see it. So I think that's where, that's where the development of Ruffy hit its like stumble point for me in the middle. And then by the end, they're, they're shouting that they love each other. Well, Buffy's telling Angel that she loves him and he's like, I love you. And it's not her. Um, that's when you and I were just like, well, this isn't really earned to us. So I, I think there was a moment there where I was like, hmm, I was always on board. I was on the Ruffy train or wagon. And then I kind of fell off. Yes. Thank you. This insecure life. That was pretty much what I was about to say it is. Yeah. It's, it's that lack of depth in many ways for Riley where he looks good on paper. And then you look deeper and you're just like, who is this guy? What, do, what does he really want other than being, a good soldier and being Buffy's boyfriend. Who is he really? Um, and then the insecurity, right? And I hear what you're saying, Steph, and I agree with a lot of what you said. It's uh, it it feels like he's trying too hard, and the writers are trying too hard to make us accept him. And so, as much as I can say, like, yeah, Ruffy is a good relationship for Buffy at this point in her life. In season four on trial, we talked a lot about how season four is this transitional season, and there are a lot of great things about that. But I don't know. I I just, I think I'll stand by what I said in that episode, which is you don't meet many roughy shippers, right? You got the Bangel stands, you got the Spuffy stands. Uh, These are Buffy's, you know, greatest loves of all time. I have yet to meet somebody who seriously, unironically, says Ruffy for life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but we do we do see people saying Ruffy for a time. <laughs> Ruffy for a solid six months, you know? I'm all for Fuffy, Annie. I, I do not ship anybody. Um, but if I were to ship characters on this show, it would be Fuffy. Good choice. Who's Kangel? I think it's Cordelia and Angel. Oh. I know. For me, they're BFFs for life. Like, I think they, they push that relationship a little bit too hard. I mean, I'm annoyed. I, I My feelings about Kangel are complicated because I'm so incredibly annoyed at how they write Cordelia out of the show, right? And not only all the stuff that happened behind the scenes with Charisma, but just in general, just the way they wrote her off, they put her on a bus. Um, her and Fred both. And I, I know that you know, Joss supposedly had plans for Fred and Illyria if the show kept going. I don't care. We got what we got, and it, it's terrible, and I, it makes me mad. And it's the same with Cordelia. So I I don't think I can fairly evaluate Kangel. I think I agree with you, Steph, that they work better as platonic soulmates. But it just doesn't... The, the way that she gets written out, I'm just like, ugh, I, I can't judge it fairly. And also, like, that's not the WB style, right? Unless it's, like, Haley and Lucas from One Tree Hill. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're, you know, it's like, we're going to put these people together, all right? There's no such thing as platonic friendship that lasts forever. Yeah, so what do we have next? Oh, we have crossover hot stakes. 
that we can read out. All right. Uh, just as a reminder, everyone, I'm sure you already know, but we did two, no, three crossover episodes this season. We did I Will Remember You, which I'm sure, Kara, that was your favorite. That was the I do gem, remember it. The gem of the season for you. Uh, and then we did Five by Five at Sanctuary in one bundled episode. Um, so we have people writing in about those episodes and we save them for now. So our first one is from Roisin who says, my headcanon, which I also think is right, which I'm glad you think your headcanon is right, Roisin, uh, is that the powers that be gave Doyle the vision to send Angel to Sunnydale to in turn follow with Buffy going to LA to set up the episode of Angel experiencing becoming human and a potential life with Buffy, which is then ripped away. So this is all the machinations of the powers that be. Setting up for the rest of the series, Angel's central desire to eventually become human. The powers that be were manipulating him by giving him a small taste of his reward. Mm. Ooh, they're so mean. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with that. Sure. I think that's great. I think that's, uh, if that is the case, uh, that's really well thought out planning because I don't think they introduce the... Uh, what would you call it? Like it's it's like the the the, the prophecy, the Shanshu prophecy. That's that's at the end of season one. Okay, okay. So so yeah. So if they're setting that up from the get go, smart. I just smart stuff. I see where Roshin's coming from. I think there is truth to that. But I think that as we see the series progress, Angel kind of gives up on the idea of actually becoming human. Or if he were to become human, I think he would be upset about it the way he kind of was in this episode because he couldn't protect people anymore. Um, he really struggles with that in season five of Angel, right? And I, I know it's been a while for you, Steph, but it's very fresh in my mind. I just finished rewatching it recently with a friend of mine. By the end of season five, you know, he's kind of going through the motions when it comes to the Shanshu prophecy because he kind of believes it's BS. And, you know, I, I see that. And so I think that Maybe Roshin's right. Maybe at the beginning, when he's just moved to LA, this is a possibility for him. And then he reaches a point where he's just like, I don't think this is ever really going to be my reward. You know, he gets so cynical about the powers that be and Wolfram and Hart and everything. And he's just like, I don't care. I'm just going to keep fighting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I think also, like, he changes, right? We all, as everybody does, as as time goes on, five years on Angel, seven years on Buffy, everyone grows and changes and what they want and desire in life changes. And I, I agree with what a lot of people in the comments here are saying, that uh, Angel wouldn't want that for himself in the long run. Like, that would mean he's, like, forgiven for all the stuff that he's done. That, like, his whole thing is carrying this guilt and making things as right as they possibly can. So, you know, living out, the rest of his life um, as a human, I just don't see him being as fulfilled by that. Even if it is for love, even if it is to start a family, at the end of the day, Angel is like, mm, but all the families I took from. I, I wish that too, Leah, that Angel could be human uh, with powers, kind of like Connor, whom we shall not discuss in any more detail. Who, Connor who? How dare you bring up Connor on this podcast? I just... I think that part of the show, right, is power comes with drawbacks. There's always a downside to power. Even Buffy's power as the Slayer isolates her from humanity, which we kind of got a taste of in Restless, but is going to become a more major theme of the show as we go through the series. Um, even a character like Connor, right? We see that him having power 
uh, separates him from humanity until Angel basically forces him to renounce. I, I said I wasn't going to talk. You tricked me. You tricked me. Gotcha. Mm. All right. So let's go on to uh, Jess's hot steak. Jess says, I've never been a Bangel fan. This might, be, this might be because I started off watching Angel first and then found Buffy. To me, while there are great episodes about the drama surrounding Bangel, the pairing itself seems to diminish both characters. Buffy's often at her most immature with Angel, um, and Angel's also insecure and pig-headed with Buffy. I think what both shows get right about the relationship is that sometimes love isn't enough to make everything work. I think Angel and Buffy are better people outside of their relationship. Shots fired for the Bangels in the room, right? Well, you know what? I do agree with the immaturity level only if we're talking about seasons one and two. Because, yeah, they were. In- I mean, that's the re- representation of a high school relationship at that age. They, they did a lot of miscommunication, a lot of like, I don't know what you're feeling. I'm going to run away. Like, remember that whole drama stuff that was going on? And you and I ate it up. But we were also like, all right, you guys. So I agree with it on that level. And I can also agree that love isn't enough to make things work, especially for your typical high school relationship or your first love even. But I don't think, I mean, I, I mean obviously I'm not going to agree with the fact that they weren't mature throughout that relationship because you and I talked a lot about season three and into season four, um, how when Angel came back from hell, their relationship was completely different from how they left it when they were together before he lost his soul. It it was more mature. I mean, that added to the fact that they got over the whole, we need to be in lust where we're, you know, we're all over each other in season two in season three, they can't really touch each other. So they learned how to develop their bond more emotionally and that was nice to see. And of course, there's up and ups and downs because she's still 18 at that time and he's still a vampire. But even him leaving, you know, him choosing to leave her at the end of season three, that's pretty mature. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I found there was the stumbling block, right? In season four with the crossovers, Buffy went over there and you and I critiqued her about what the things that she was doing when she got there. And then Angel came back to Sunnydale and you and I were like, what are you doing, my friend? Um, But that last conversation that they have in Buffy's dorm room hallway, I thought really set the tone for how they're going to be moving forward. Um, You know, people who used to be in love that still have a respect and an understanding for each other uh, agreeing to move forward, right? Like it's hard. It's hard to get to that point. And they struggled with that for sure. But I feel very optimistic about the maturity of their relationship and the growth that they're going to have together moving forward. And there is a special, a really special scene in season five that I've always thought is really um, mm. emotional and touching that happens between. I, I know which scene you're talking about. Yeah. And when we get to that point, I'll, I'll <laughs> point out why that matters, <laughs> like why that's significant to me and in my love for the Buffy and Angel uh, relationship. I think, unfortunately, we are a little bit robbed in that we never really see what Buffy and Angel could be like once Buffy's a little older, once Angel has had that time apart from her. Sometimes you need time apart in order to become more yourself, and then you can get back together with somebody, right? And the the shows just never, they don't last long enough for us to see that arc. I think that's one of the limitations of serialized drama on television is if you if you know if you're kind of telling it at that standard pace of one year per season 
sometimes you don't get to tell those longer stories unless you intentionally skip years and, and move the storyline forward faster. So I, I think part of the complexities and the nuance of Bangel as a relationship, right, is there are limitations to the storytelling you can get with network TV. And so within those frameworks, and sorry if I'm getting really meta about this, you know, I think Bangel as a relationship is fine. Do I think Buffy's meant to be with Angel? I don't know if I'd go that far, right? I'm not a Bangel stan, but I, I think that the show basically leaves the door open where it's like, well, they they part amicably-ish. Yeah, they have fights afterwards, but who doesn't have fights with their ex sometimes, right? They part amicably-ish, and there's a possibility there for the future. They could be friends. They could be partners again. Uh, they could date and then break up another time, and that's never something the show gets to explore. So I, th I think we can kind of have our own little headcanon of what happens. Yeah, well, that's what's fun about fandom, right? You have fanfic, you've got your own theories about where things could go. Um, for sure, for sure. I, and I, I'll stand by my love for Bangel because I really think that they developed that relationship <laughs> really well in seasons one to three. Like, it, it's, it's juicy stuff, you know, as far as uh, um, vampire, vampire slayer love can go. Uh, they did a good job with it, and I understand why people get invested in it, but I also understand why people are like, this is too much for me, because it's not it's not going to be for everybody. And that's why Buffy has other relationships that you can ship, such as Ruffy. <laughs> so, and then we have one more, someone else that wrote in about uh, the crossovers that we did. You want to read Trisha's? Yeah, so Trisha says... I wanted to write in about last week's episode where Steph brought up people who have seen Angel but not Buffy. So, you know, our previous hot stake was somebody who saw Angel first and then Buffy. We got a lot of emails from people being like, actually, either I or my, you know, significant other or somebody I know watched Angel first. So, whatever you do, you. Um, yeah, yeah, we did have some confirmation for that. So. so, Trisha says, I have a friend named Paul who is one such person. Hi, Paul. Shout out. He knows I am a huge Buffy fan and asked me if he should watch the show because she comes off as such a bitka, as Sander would say, on Angel. So much so that he has no desire whatsoever to watch Buffy, ever. It's such an odd thing the writers of Angel chose to do when writing her character for their show. I agree with Steph that it doesn't quite track with what we see on Buffy. I told my friend she is very different on her own show, and she has some valid reasons for being so upset when she shows up for Sanctuary. But alas, he still hasn't watched Buffy. Ooh, Paul. Paul, 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 Paul. Paul. Well, Patricia, <laughs> thanks for confirming that um, it is indeed true that people have watched Angel and not Buffy. And as I suspected, they probably don't like Buffy based on her visits over to LA in season one of Angel. Um, yeah, I mean, I, we did get a lot of feedback about our coverage of 5x5 Five Five and Sanctuary. A lot of people agreed, uh, just like Trisha, that came in to like point out like, yeah, that's true. People watch Angel, not Buffy. And then we had people that disagreed um, with our coverage of Buffy in there and saying that we weren't really fair or we weren't considering everything um, for that episode, which, it, which is obviously fair. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. But I don't know. I, I feel like we explained really well why we couldn't bring all of that context with what uh, Faith did to Riley and Buffy into Buffy's attitude, 
when she came to LA. Uh, we've talked about rape. We talked about that extensively in um, Who Are You and Superstar. We really wish we're like waiting. We're like, are they going to talk about it? Are they going to bring it up at all? They never did. Um, not that we ever expected them to, but we wish, we hope, we, we would love for them to talk about what happened to those characters, what they did to them. But the show never gave the space for that. The show never wanted to address that. And we're not surprised because they never addressed it in the past either. Buffy's been sexually assaulted multiple times. Xander watched her change without her permission. Um, I don't think she ever found out about that, but we saw that and no consequences. Xander tried to rape her when he was uh, when he was the hyena in season one. No talk of that. Um, that fish guy <laughs> in Go Fish attacked her in his car. No comment. So, yeah, it would have felt disingenuous to me to be like, this is what Buffy cares about when she gets to L.A., when there's been no nothing leading up to that there she's not one conversation about it so i think it's okay to read that context in there but i didn't i just didn't see it i didn't want to give the show credit for something it wasn't doing i just think buffy is being very insensitive i understand where her anger is coming from she's allowed to be angry and to express that anger with angel but she really doesn't stop to allow him to express you know where he's coming from and listen to him right there's no listening going on she just kind of shows up like a whirlwind uh gets upset with him for not immediately punishing faith and then from there she's just snippy with him you know so i understand where paul's coming from but i just i i feel you know paul why don't you trust trisha <laughs> like if Trisha is your friend and she's telling you that Buffy's better in her show, why aren't you listening to her? <laughs> Trust Trisha. Listen to women. Uh, yeah, and like I think we said this too, and it, it's really unfortunate that that's how Joss Whedon wanted her to appear <laughs> when she visited her ex, right? She, he wanted her to be angry and aggressive and spiteful and all these things that it came out. That, well, that's Joss's only experience with exes. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean... Yeah, and we see it play out on screen, and it's not pretty, and it's unfortunate, <laughs> and uh, it's too bad. It's too bad. Paul, go watch Buffy. What are you doing? Come on. Come on. Everybody, let's all gag up on Paul. <laughs> yeah. We're going to bring over the DVDs to your house, Paul, and we'll have a nice Buffy watch party, and it's going to be fine, but we're not leaving until you like the show. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> All right. So those were our crossover hot stakes. Anything we want to bring up for what they're talking about? It looks like they're talking about Don in the comments section here. I like, I like Don. I don't know. There's my, there's my controversial. <laughs> there's my hot stake. We'll get into it in season five. My thing about Don is that like, I didn't think one thing of like, kind of like Tara, when I used to rewatch, I was just like, yeah, whatever. Don's there, you know? Or let's put it this way. I don't think Don deserves the hate that she gets. Very similar to, to Riley, right? It is like, I think you can criticize Riley. He's bland. But there is so much vitriol in the Buffy fandom towards Dawn. And I don't get it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited to get there. Honestly, um, I did, like I said, I, don't, I never had two thoughts about her, really. I, I did find her annoying <laughs> at some points. But um, she's supposed to be annoying. Yeah, that's exactly. the whole point. It, well, exactly. So that's why I, I never hate on her. I'm just like, yeah, that's annoying. Sure. Um, but that's the beauty of the rewatch. That's why I'm really enjoying this rewatch with you, Cara, because I changed my mind from what I used to think, right? Like I'm so 
into Willow and Buff, uh, Willow and Buffy. Well, I'm into them too. I'm so into Willow and Tara that like Oz leaving didn't hurt so much as it used to. So I'm curious to see how I'll take Dawn in, in stride, hopefully, but I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I never hated Otter. I was just kind of like, yeah, she's there. Brady, we're not going to gaslight you again. We thought about it. People have suggested it, but keeping kind of with the spoiler free theme of the show, we're just going to take it one episode at a time. When Dawn shows up at the end of Buffy versus Dracula, we're going to be just as clueless as everybody else listening for the first time. Yeah, I can see it now. (laughs) She's going to show up on screen and you're going to be like, the fuck is that? (laughs) Who? the hell is this and it's gonna be really fun for us and i also want to say because we i mean obviously everybody on this live stream will not have heard our coverage of restless we also chose not to do spoilers in that episode because it was just just too much we didn't trust ourselves with the spoilers (laughs) we made up some. yeah we we can have a little spoiler uh discussion of restless in a little bit i think uh we're almost we're almost through the hot stakes here so maybe we should let's talk about tara and willow uh and then finish off the hot stakes and then we can talk a little bit about restless if people want yeah all right so we got two hot stakes about tara and willow first one is from m who says so in hush and so many episodes before anya and xander are all over each other we've seen buffy being treated all over the men in her life uh buffy and riley get the whole of the episode i hate the most where they just have sex the entire time you and me both, Em. You and me both. We don't have to talk about it. Uh, so they go on to say, Willow and Tara do not kiss until the body. And it's Tara comforting Willow and trying to calm her down. Can you believe? Like, I get the TV sensors, etc. But I was so shocked when watching to realize it took that long for them to show Willow and Tara kiss on screen. Uh, just wanted to throw that out there as this is the first episode Tara is in. So uh, they sent this hot steak in. Uh, a little bit earlier in the season and we kept it back because it talks about season five and stuff so that's why we've left it for the wrap-up but yeah like tara is such an important character in season four right and it's really it really sucks that the network censorship basically said we cannot have two girls kissing romantically on screen yeah and it's it's really annoying and then we said this before too we're like what a shame honestly like this is so stupid but i mean that's 2000 for you we did get to see some o circles right some 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 (laughs) panting (laughs) uh we also saw well xander got to see some kissing in the restless (laughs) i want to know from any women loving women out there in our comments here is that what you th- like if if you grew- if Buffy was your queer awakening, is that what you thought sapphic sex was like? If you're where you like, it's gonna be a big glowy O light. Can you imagine if you did think that and it didn't happen? <laughs> you were like, am I not doing it right? Um, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And there, that's it is a shame. Uh, so Kyle wrote in to talk about Taryn Willow. Said one thing that crossed my mind with Hush especially with its significance for Willow, is the importance of nonverbal communication for queer people. Queer folk, historically, and even now in the less safe places in the world, can't communicate openly out of fear for their safety. Queer people might identify each other through body language, furtive glances, or aesthetic choices. And of course, that's the tradition of cruising. It's probably not intentions 
it's probably not the intentions of the writers on the writer's part, but it seems significant to me that Tara communicates a, sim a similarity between herself and Willow in Wicca group without speaking to her directly. And of course they have their connection later in the episode. Tara silently observed Willow's similarity to her and later they connected through eye contact and touch. So gay, so good. Also personally, the moment they combine their power in the episode always gives me the best chills. This beginning of the relationship is the, in this episode is so incredibly relatable to me personally as a queer person it brings back memories of working up the courage to talk to someone only after exchanging meaningful furtive glances from across the room uh shout out kyle uh not only one of our chosen ones but also host of another buffy rewatch podcast buffy gaze so go check that out especially if you want that you know gay interpretation of buffy yeah exactly and um that was a really nice way of, of explaining that, right? And saying why this um, is significant and how that nonverbal communication um, speaks to the queer community. So Absolutely. I, I mean, that's something we talked about in season four on trial uh, with the, the hosts from We Are the Gayers, which is Buffy is such an incredibly queer show. It's queer coded, you know, from the very first season all the way through. There's so much subtext you can see there, whether it's intentionally there or not. And maybe even more broadly, right? I think there's something about contemporary paranormal fantasy and, and romance style shows like this that are always more susceptible to queer coding and to queer readings and headcanons. Um, you know, monsters just want to fuck. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> so we have one more. Well, not me, Steph, not me. <laughs> Don't some of us. <laughs> um, we have one more hot steak from Erica, who I, I remember when they sent this to um, us on Instagram was basically like, I just really need to talk about Frankenstein. It's like their passion. <laughs> so this is your, this is your uh, hot steak, Erica, about Frankenstein. Victor Frankenstein in the book is a university dropout who was so obsessed with alchemy despite his professors and his father telling him that it's pseudoscience and that he should be focusing on his actual studies. Instead, he robs graves to try to create life. And when he succeeds, he immediately runs away, not knowing what he created. He doesn't even know that he's created a monster or anything. He just runs. So he's basically created a super strong infant that accidentally kills Frankenstein's friend, Henry Clavel. That sounded like Henry Cavill, who is Superman, who's <laughs> super, super handsome, who was in Ingolstadt looking for Victor. The creature escapes when Victor tries to burn down the lab he was renting and makes it to the countryside. The creature loves humanity so much and is so horrified by his own monstrous appearance that he hides. He learns to feed himself, build, build fires to cook, and learn several languages by observing families in the woods, helping them by doing their chores in the night. He eventually tried to befriend them by approaching the patriarch of the family who was blind and doing well, but the rest of the family returns to see the creature and are horrified, chase him off and move away. The creature then sets out uh, to get his revenge on Victor for creating and, and abandoning him. So I think Adam, so this is the point of Frankenstein, everybody. Adam comes from a fundamental misunderstanding of the Frankenstein story. The creature in the book is desperate for love and comfort, while Adam is like an empty computer, cold, detached, seeking information and chaos. Like, what does Adam even want? So... I think what Erica's trying to say is that we, there's a lot of comparisons between Adam and Frankenstein in season four, and they're uh, misconstrued or misunderstood for what the actual Frankenstein story is, which is clearly a lot more about humanity and having uh, the creature having heart 
right? Whereas Adam is very much cold and he says he wants chaos a lot, but I, I, I disagree. I feel like you and I said, like, he would probably want order, <laughs> if anything. A new order. There, there was a discussion in our Discord. Uh, shout out to our Discord. Uh, I know some of you are here from there. Um, prophecygirls.ca slash Discord. Join now. Uh, there was a discussion today, actually. I didn't follow the whole thing because I, I was busy at the time, but we were talking a little bit about what was Maggie Walsh's plan? Like, if Adam hadn't killed her, what was her plan with creating Adam and implanting a behavior control chip in Riley that he then subsequently removed without any problems? Um, what was she going to do with Adam? Do you have any theories, stuff? No, I mean, I, like that's the thing. When when Adam carries out his whole like plan, that was that was Adam's plan, right? Like assuming that wasn't what Maggie Walsh wanted. Although I do suspect that Maggie Walsh probably wanted an army of men like Adam, right? Of super soldiers, you might say. I think he followed it, but with a more chaotic twist. I think she thought she could control Adam. I think that she thought. Uh, he would look to her as this authority figure and she could direct him. And yeah, I don't know that she'd want to transform Riley. I think she wanted to use what she learned from Adam on Riley, right? Upgrade him, make him into a cyborg, not necessarily demonic in nature. I think she was doing a lot of experimenting. I don't know that she necessarily had an end goal. I feel like she's the kind of person who uh, she's in bed with the military industrial complex because they give her the big bucks for her research. She doesn't really care about the practical application. Uh, she just wants to, you know, do her weird psychological twisty torture research. If the government manages to weaponize it, she doesn't care. Yeah. And, you know, like, I'm laughing because Annie just wrote mommy. <laughs> and uh, so did mother. Yes, a couple of people did. Mother, that's from season three. But um, <laughs> my thing with that is a better question would be, did Maggie Walsh tell Adam to call her, her, him mother, her, to call her mother? Or did Adam come up with that? I feel that? like she, she tells all of the men in her command to do that. That was her code name. God. <laughs> yeah, it was her code name. You're right. Uh, I don't know. I, again, we covered a lot of this in our in our on trial episode for season four. But after that conversation, I do feel a lot better about Adam overall. Like maybe not his plan, maybe not his big plan. Um, but as a, as a campy villain that really oh, wasn't he's, about- he's, Yeah, he's certainly campy. Yeah, yeah. I just- um, Earlier, this insecure life in the comments shouted out Marie Shelley saying without Marie Shelley, we, sorry, Marie, without Mary Shelley, we wouldn't have Buffy. So true, right? Mary, Mary Shelley basically invented modern science fiction. Um, and I saw a good tweet recently that was basically like, you have to remember she did this so, so she wouldn't have to talk to Lord Byron. Um, because the, the apocryphal story goes that uh, basically she, because she was married to Percy, uh, Percy Shelley, um, and they knew Lord Byron. It was this whole clique. And they were staying at a house uh, all together one weekend. And they basically said they'd take turns making up stories. And so she uh, decided to make up this kind of ghost story of Frankenstein. Uh, I guess so she didn't have to spend time with Lord Byron, because why would you? Yeah, history with Kara. Okay. Well, that, I mean, that's all of our hot stakes. We got through them all. I mean, there weren't like, you know, tons, but yay. Thanks everyone for sending them in. As Kara said at the beginning, 
it's not too early to start sending in the hot stakes for season five because we will be getting to that in I guess like four weeks but well, so yeah those, those of you listening to this in the podcast feed we will have already recorded Buffy versus Dra- Dracula you could still send in a hot stake for that but look a couple episodes ahead and yeah give us your opinions on everything that's coming up we're so excited for season five mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so let's talk a little bit about the spoilers in Restless. So obviously, I mean, that's what the Dawn conversation was like sparking in my memory because that's, I mean, I think that they've clued, um, they've given clues about Dawn's introduction in season three, even in the the dream sequence between Faith and Buffy, but especially in a Restless, right? Where literally Tara says, be back before Dawn. And we're like, oh, does she mean the morning? But like, you know, she's talking about the little sister that's probably right that second being magically created in Joyce's womb or wherever she comes from. (laughs) Yeah. Did the monks have to chant for like nine months to create Dawn's corporeal form? How does that work? Yeah, that's exactly how that happened. Um, I can foresee us speculating whether or not she's actually Giles' child after the band candy romp in season three um yeah yeah so um i really liked that scene where buffy's like you know the the bed is almost made she's like who'd you make it for it's like my little sister's coming and uh this actually i'm glad we're talking about this now because when was it cara it might have been in season two back in season two you and i were covering an episode and it might have been innocence actually if my memory's Sarah's new white. Um, and you had talked about, you know, none of these people have siblings. No one has a sibling. Everyone's an only child. And back then I was like, ooh, I have something to say about that, but I can't say it right now. But I, 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 I can now because we're talking about spoilers. I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that Joss Whedon had said the idea of Dawn came up probably from writing that episode when he realized it's true. No one here does have siblings. Wouldn't it be great to explore that? We've explored mothers and we've explored fathers on the show but wouldn't it be great if we explored a sibling so i think that's where he got his little Joss like, is like oops i forgot to write siblings better write one into the show <laughs> oh my bad <laughs> right so he's like that's a great dynamic so in came the idea of dawn in season two and then they started implementing those ideas in season three when i think faith says in the dream sequence and in graduation day part two she says little sis is coming and then yeah and then tara just basically says it in restless like here she comes so then when you and i see her we're gonna we can't just be like there she is we're gonna be like who is that because everybody was probably like who is that at the time so it's exciting yeah what about um counting down to buffy's death yeah seven three zero so that's a big number so again in that faith dream um and you i think at the time you had said you didn't know what that was but i'm sure by now you you know um seven three zero was the number of days until Buffy dies at the end of season five. And that was said in graduation day part two. And then in restless seven, three, zero is on the clock um, to show the beginning of Dawn um, in Buffy's dream. And Tara says that's off. Like that's not the right number anymore. (gasps) Cause it should be like three, six, five. I don't know. Like whole year. I know. Oh my God. When we watch Buffy die, it's going to be well season five is going to be hard in general because we see season five is a rough season emotionally yeah season five is going to be really hard there's going to be a lot of things that we're going to that's why i'm excited about it because (laughs) the the deaths number one that's going to hit us really hard i think and then um we're going to be we're going to be dissecting ruffy spike gets up to some shenanigans 
in season five that you and I are going to have a lot to say about. We get to meet Anya's ex. Do we? Olaf the troll. Oh, is that season five? Yeah, because that's how Buffy gets the, the big old hammer that she uses on Glory afterwards. I'm going to pause you right there, Car, because my sister just joined. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. I forget. Spoiler, I didn't know that, but I'm excited to see. Annie, Annie asked if the, gift, if the gift is my favorite episode. I think I've said that. I probably said that in the introduction. Um, that's, the, that's the answer I usually give when people ask me what's my favorite episode. I'm such a flighty bitch that I, I can't have favorites. Uh, not that I don't play favorites. It's just my favorites change all the time. Whenever somebody asks me, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite book? It's just, I can't choose. Uh, I read too much. I watch too much TV. I watch too much Buffy. Like, I don't have favorites, but the gift is up there. It is one of the consistently most favorite of my episodes, uh, mainly for that final scene, which we will get to in one season. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, this time in six months or however long it takes us to get there, we'll be covering that. Um, yeah, the body is going to be really hard. It's going to be a really hard one to cover for me. Um, I know that there, I think Fool for Love is in season five, right? Where we get a little bit more background on Spike. Mm -hmm. you, and, you and I love our vampire background story. So <laughs> that'll be a good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, um, of course, seeing Glory glory but will be really good um how excited are we to get to willow's major storyline nervous i don't know if excited is the word for me what about you cara are we talking about dark willow or are we talking about that's that was my assumption like the the addiction right because willow and tara are very sweet in season five right like th that's to me like season four willow and tara are quite cute and it's a very emotional time with willow figuring out her queerness but Season five, Willow and Terra is where the romance really is, right? Which I think is a lovely contrast to all the death and destruction. You know, I have very strong opinions about Dark Willow, but I, I can't, no spoilers for Kara's opinions. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I, I'm so, honestly, season five is a mostly blank space for me. So it really is going to be like I'm watching it for the first time. I, I have what I hope will be a very polarizing hot stake for the very end of season six. It's already like, locked and loaded up here so look forward to that in two seasons this is just me you know teasing all the stuff you have to look forward to yeah and that's fine honestly season six is a very polarizing episode anyway uh season anyway right like there's a lot mm -hmm. of things that happen in that season that are going to be tough to talk through and everyone's gonna have a different opinion about it speaking of restless and references or foreshadowing for for later on in the series so a lot of Restless is about Buffy connecting to the spirit of the first Slayer. We talked all about the racism in our recap of Restless, so people will get to hear that when that comes out. But we didn't get to talk about how in season five, uh, Buffy continues to learn more about the backstory of Slayer lore, right? The whole idea of the gift is that death is her gift. You know, she goes to talk to Sinea again, and that's all that Sinea says, because Sinea gets upgraded from not having a voice to just repeating the same line over and over. Um, and then that, that carries on throughout the rest of the series, right? Is there There's a darkness to being the Slayer that Buffy has to kind of confront. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, Steph? Uh, I definitely agree that the last three seasons are darker <laughs> um, for not just Buffy, but for all the characters. Um, but I'm actually looking forward to her exploring 
that history with the Slayers and seeing how that affects her and impacts her and how she eventually learns what her destiny is all about, which I think she kind of always knew um, coming back from season one when she was destined to die and then she came back. Um, and then it's been part of her context and behind her character development this entire time, the last four seasons, right? She thinks she's going to die young, but when she learns that that's a gift and not so much a tragedy on her end, I mean, it's still a tragedy, but it's something that she can give that other people can't. And I think that's where she finds empowerment in it. I do. I do like that. We get deeper Slayer lore here. I'm all about the lore on shows. I love it when, you know, writers go deeper into why this world exists. I also think there's something ironic about but the Slayers were created by patriarchy and were meant to be controlled by these patriarchal men. And we see that in the modern day with the Watchers Council. It's kind of like Joss Whedon telling on himself, right? Right, Where he's like, you know, the only way he can see a woman being powerful is if men give her that power. You know, and even if she rest, even if the point of the story is her wrestling that power away and claiming it for herself, I think that the origin of the Slayers really demonstrates the limitations of Joss Whedon's vision of feminism. Yeah, that was well said. I agree with what you said. Um, I'm reading over these comments. Um, <laughs> How do we feel about characters like Spike telling Buffy things like she likes the darkness and that she needs evil and things? Rub me the wrong way, she says, or uh, Azir says. Well, Spike's, he's the bad boy, right? Like, that's the whole point is when Buffy gets with him, she's wanting to be bad. And that's not always good for you. But I have been told by some of my uh, female friends that uh, that's what some some women like i don't know i don't see the attraction of bad boys or good boys for that matter so i'm not sure how it works but good boy no you don't get it yeah 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 i mean that's something that we're going to keep our eye on too as we go right is that spike is representing something very specific here which is the bad boy the wrong boy the guy that you're not supposed to be getting with but a lot of girls do get with guys like that when they're young so <laughs> and when they're old too whatever but uh yeah, I mean, I like that's what I mean. When we get to these to these episodes, I'm not gonna know until I rewatch it. Like, what I I have an inkling of what I'm gonna think about it, but depending mm -hmm. on how depending on how we break down the season as it gets to those episodes, it could change. It could really change. Right. Disclaimer. Right. Everything we're saying here could change as we watch the episodes. We reserve the right to change our opinions. Yeah, it's true. I mean, we're not. Who's holding us down to what we say in season four? It could change completely by season six. I don't even remember what I said in season one of this podcast. <laughs> I'll remind you. I remember. <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking we could maybe just pivot into more general Q and A from the people who are here live with us. If anybody has questions about the podcast, behind the scenes. Uh, how we podcast, other random Buffy opinions you want from us? That's actually a really good point because a, a couple of people have brought up lately to us um, how like advice on podcasting in general. Um, so if anyone has a question about that, we're happy to answer it here. I will say off the bat, it's very easy to start a podcast. <laughs> it's, it's easy as in like it can be basically free if you wanted it to be free. You need a mic and you need a platform to put it on and there are free platforms out there. So relatively simple but it the hard part is just doing it is like getting the guts to just put it out there 
Annie asks, when do we sleep? We don't. We're like whales. <laughs> we can sleep with one half of our brain at the time. Yeah. I'm also, I'm like the mayor. I sold my soul long ago to ascend in the next hundred, hundred days. So I don't sleep. <laughs> I do all my work at night. The bunny butt asks us, uh, how do you two mentally set yourself up for that week's podcast? Do you have a ritual, Steph? For what, for any podcast week or? Yeah, I think it's just in general. How do we prep? How do we prep? I mean, watch the episode, uh, sometimes two or three times if I don't I... get it the first time. <laughs> wait, wait, we're supposed to be watching the episodes? Yeah. I mean, you go by memory. I know you do because you're that smart. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, I, I, you ha I, I have to watch it and then I type it out, all the notes. And while I'm typing the notes, that's what I'm plugging in my initial thoughts. And then when I'm done that, I go back in and I refine what my thoughts are on it. And then you can hear it while me and Cara are discussing the podcast, how, how she can shape what I'm thinking. And I'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, oh, I totally agree with that. Um, and vice versa. And sometimes just breaking down the episode while we talk it through, that's when, you know, our opinions and everything can come, can come through more organically, you might say. Yeah, I watch the episode once usually. Um... And then I, I try to take notes. I try to be a good girl, but I'm going to be completely honest. Often I don't, or if I take very poor notes, I'm very reliant on Steph's incredibly detailed note-taking. And then I just show up and I just riff. <laughs> yeah, but that's what you're good at, right? Discord is prophecygirls.ca slash discord. And anybody is welcome to join if you are a Buy Me a Coffee supporter. You can connect your accounts um, and get access to our secret bronze area. Not really much goes on in there, to be completely honest. But once in a while, once in a while we'll have like a Buffy watch party and stuff. But uh, anybody is free to join the Discord and have wonderful discussions with other listeners. Um, how long does a podcast take you for you guys from start to finish? Jeez. Let's see. We record for, let's say, two hours, right? Then it takes me about two hours to edit it. And then you have to listen to it. <laughs> and then you got to write up the thing. And then I got to make the social media. So like, what, 10 hours per episode? Uh, yeah, four. I mean, you spend more time than I do, right? Like, I listen to it. So that's... So me listening to it is about as long as you editing it, I guess. And then, yeah, I, I'd say probably around like six, six hours. I don't know how long it takes you to do the social media stuff. But yeah. Yeah, that can take a long uh, well, time Well, plus too. watching the episode. And taking notes, right? So yeah, maybe a little bit closer to 10 hours. Uh, Brady's asked a very important question. <laughs> just making me laugh. Um, I'm so sorry, Steph, but do you, do you, are you missing a fingertip? I am. <laughs> so the, when I was three, um, my mom was on an exercise bike and I stuck it in the chain and it ripped it right off. But the nail grew back and I painted it. So don't feel bad for me. Tracy asks, how do you do the TikTok video out of podcast? Uh, what do you mean, Tracy? Like uh, the clips from the podcast and put it on TikTok? I mean, that takes an editor. Um, and how do I get inspired by TikToks? I literally just listen for trending sounds. And I'm like, how can I apply this to either this week's episode or Buffy in general? And that's that's where those come from. Uh, let's see. Anything else? Oh, my sister heard that finger story. She was there for that. She, was, she can <laughs> attest to what happened. <laughs> uh Will we do a what, in, what what we watched in the Shadows podcast? I mean, I'm open to it. We'll see where we're at at the end of Buffy. W when we say we might do Angel, we might not, we're not playing coy. Like, 
we would love to recap Angel. It's just, it's far enough in the future at this point that we just don't know where we're going to be at with our lives. And, uh, you know, we, we don't want to make any promises that we can't end up keeping. So we're open to stuff. I definitely would love to cover what we do in the shadows as a bonus episode. I haven't watched either the movie or the TV show. So you'll probably get a bonus episode or two at least. Um, and then we'll see where we go from there. I want to do a vampires and vampire diary at bonus episodes. So yeah, I'm down for it. I think I put it in there in our schedule once in a while, but then we always boot it for something else. Um, but we'll get to it and we will do the rest of the twilights because that's what I'm hearing. I'm, I'm hearing from your sister that Sarah got a popsicle in the emergency room and you didn't. Yeah. That bitch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think cause my hand was like tied up to stuff, you know, hospital stuff. You guys know me. I don't know. What did I call it? that? That water baggy thing. <laughs> So anyway, I couldn't, I, I couldn't hold it. So, uh, <laughs> my poor Steph, feel bad for me. Yeah. Um, Steph, is your husband done wallpapering and yelling? Well, he's not done yelling, but he's definitely done the wallpapering. <laughs> and that's a call out to the fact that Sebastian is always doing something productive when we are recording. And it's always loud. He's actually being quiet today. Tell him he's a good boy. He's not here. <laughs> I sent him good away. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Today's an important day. Get out of here. <laughs> um, Your separate hand. <laughs> get out of here, Sarah. The only time she joins one of these live events is to talk about my finger. Um, uh, Vampire Diaries. Was it inspired by Buffy? I mean, I know there was a book series that came out from Vampire Diaries, um, similar to True Blood. I, I think it's really hard to say any vampire fiction written after Buffy wasn't inspired by Buffy. I know we had that discussion in our True Blood episode where uh, the guy's like, oh, I didn't watch Buffy, which I think is BS. He must have seen a little bit at least. Even if you didn't watch Buffy though, like culturally you probably consumed things that were inspired by Buffy. So I think the answer has to be yes. And then the question is just like, how much was it intentionally inspired by Buffy? Yeah, but I think we talked about this even in our intro episode back in the day that so many shows owe their formatting and everything to Buffy. Um, one that, I mean, Vampire Diaries and like those typical vampire shows for sure. Uh, but I often think of, of Smallville when I think about inspirations from Buffy, because they like hmm. very much like we had a, a, you know, the monster of the week in Buffy Smallville always has a freak of the week. Right. And it's the same idea of um, someone being different, but has to hide it, but is a hero and is underappreciated for it. And like that, it's the same, same concept, but with Tom Welling, <laughs> I've heard this before. Um, Recovering Gleek is a podcast about Glee and nothing would gr I've give. I've never watched Glee. You, you need to watch Glee, <laughs> or maybe not. Yeah, I, I, I love Glee, so I would love to cover Glee one day. I know that, um, I mean, there's a little behind the scenes stuff. Uh, a Broadway-based podcast reached out to us recently and said, like, you know, when you get to the musical episode in season six, we can be involved in some way. So there's something in the works for there. Not sure what we'll do yet, but that was that's been in talks. And again, we're not held to what we say here. Things can change, <laughs> but uh, that that's something that happened recently. So, uh, what all you people need to go watch Glee now? <laughs> any final thoughts? Any final questions before we call it an episode? Yeah. Any final thoughts from anybody or questions? Final thoughts for you and me and uh, 
for us, Kara, because this is the last time we're going to talk about season four ever before we move on ever. to season five. Ever. I'm never talking about it again after this. <laughs> season four what? Scott Hope? Who? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I'm glad. I'm glad that we've watched this season. Um, as you heard me say in season four on trial, right? Like, definitely I have a more positive opinion of this season every time I watch it, including now. So it, it has only improved. I'm still not quite willing to come out and say, yeah, this is the best season or even one of the better seasons, in my opinion. I just I just like so much more about Buffy. I don't think this season ever really comes into its own. I, I understand the argument that we uh, we heard previously about it being a transitional season. I think that's a really good analysis. But for me personally, I'm not going to say season four is one of the best seasons. I do like season five. I think when I was younger, I called season five one of my favorite seasons. And then I think... If I'm recalling correctly, I think in our introductory episode way back in the day, I was like, hmm, season two, season three-ish. So we'll see. But this has been a really nice journey. I think probably my favorite part of being on this journey with you for season four was how much I've realized I identified a lot with Tara this time around. And I said this previously, right? I used to see myself as very Willow because I was bookish and, and nerdy and kind of awkward. Um, but in some of these episodes, the way that Tara expresses her affection for Willow is very similar to how I express my affection platonically for my friends, my chosen family. And it's, it's nice to see that at this point in my life and be like, yeah, yeah, that's me. Yeah. Um, I know I've read this a couple of times and well, first off, I want to say everyone is sending us really nice messages in our chat here. Really, really <laughs> nice. Thanks guys. Brady, you've been sitting in your car so your kids won't bother you? Hardcore. <laughs> but Brady's a real one. You know, she, she's there for us. Is, is Brady, are your kids okay? Are they like, Bob, Bob? It's like, it's like my husband. Like, where are they? I don't know. <laughs> I'm talking Buffy over here, you know? Um, yeah, so season four, like I, I, I've read a, a couple of nice messages over the last couple of months saying we, us, Prophecy Girls, are helping people see season four in a whole new light and that they appreciate it more now that they're watching it. And I'm honestly right there with everybody because I never thought much of season four. Um, a transitional ep a season, as Kara said, didn't think too much about it in terms of like, it, it would be in my bod, like in the middle in terms of favorite ep seasons. But now that I've rewatched it with you and that we've really talked it through and had a lot of fun, you know, talking it through, even the ones like, you know, where the wild things are, what an episode, but like you and I had a great time talking about it. So it changes my perspective and I do have an appreciation for season four. Um, I really admire what they tried to do with it. Uh, I do think it stumbled along the way. I don't think things took off the way they thought it would, like the initiative and Ruffy, for example, but overall, uh, it is it has very joyous moments, very high highs, if you're going to pick out high highs in the whole series. I do think it's ironic that sometimes uh, people will criticize us for being too harsh on the show, right? They're like, they don't even like Buffy. And it's we don't. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, but right. But now you're saying, oh, like new appreciation for season four. And I think that just goes to show that people are going to read into our podcast what they want to read into it, right? Haters going to hate. Um, I'm very appreciative of all our listeners, those of you who've joined us live, those of you who are listening to the podcast feed. 
uh, you're the reason why we do this and we love the compliments keep them coming and we love you know when you call us in gently for you know um, things you think we could be doing better but it's it's just so nice to interact with all of you especially on on a live like this and I want to keep doing more of them and uh, yeah it, that's what makes this fun to do right as we share our thoughts and then you write in with your hot stakes and and we learn stuff as well. <laughs> Yeah, we do. And honestly, I'm smarter having done this podcast with Kara, but also with everybody here that joins us because the hot stakes, you know, we're, t- we're just two women that have our opinions and we have our viewpoints and we share them. And we're as honest as we can be. Yeah, but two women can't have opinions on the internet stuff. There's something's wrong. There. Not without receiving some hate. Um, but that's the point. People bring in their perspectives too. And we have such unique and intelligent and wonderful listeners who, sh- who are comfortable enough to share the space with us and to share their thoughts. Um, and that's honestly one of the most wonderful things that I love about podcasting. Why we keep doing it. Why we give you guys 10 to 12 hours a week of our time. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks you. Thanks everybody. It's really, really sweet that you're writing a lot of stuff. And, um, we recognize you all. I see you all every day interacting, engaging with us on our social media, on Twitter, so, uh, TikTok, Instagram. We really appreciate you guys. And we have exciting episodes coming up. We're excited for season five. We've got some bonus episodes coming up. We have some guests, some crossovers planned. Um, we won't say any details yet, but pay attention to social media, join our Discord. Um, I can't wait to see what happens. Congrats to us for 200,000 downloads. Thanks to you guys for that too. It's a, it's an accomplishment all that we can all share together as we leave season four and enter unknown territory season five and, you know, dawn, <laughs> a new dawn. Uh, all right. So thank you to all of our buy me a coffee supporters, especially our chosen ones, Lizzie, Emma, Hannah, Teza, Holly, Kyle, Kayla, Destiny, Brady, Erica, Jordan, Allison, Lena, Jace, Julian, Haley, Nicola, and Tasha. All right. Thanks, everyone. This ends (laughs) our live recording, our first live recording. When I'm editing it back, I will decide whether it was worth it or not in terms of the chaos. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see what things you decide to cut out. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter. You can also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca, where you can find the link to our Discord. Praise Moloch! See you next week!